Hey everyone, welcome to Reformed Podmatics, hosted by the pastors of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. It's Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey, and this podcast exists to promote the vibrant, biblical, and historically informed face of Reformed theology, both in our context and beyond. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Reformed Podmatics, episode 66. I am Pastor Zach. And I'm Pastor Mark. And today we are joining you to sort of pick up on some ground we left untraveled many, many mm. months ago when we were looking at the topic of baptism. I think that may have actually been over a year ago yeah. now. Yeah, it was one of our first episodes. Um, and so we are going to be picking up with the second uh, sacrament, which is the sacrament of Holy Communion. Uh, that's something that, yeah, we call a sacrament. Mm -hmm. But first, before we jump into that, we do want to give a quick shout out to Lucas and Juliana, who are listeners of the show up in Spokane, Washington. It was really cool to receive a note from, from Juliana, um, this last week, just encouraging us and, yeah, it really made my day. And I think the same as can, same can be said for Mark as well. Yeah, it's cool. It's amazing who is listening. And so, uh, we were thankful for that little message that we got and for others, um, you know, yeah. Simon who continues to listen in Ontario yeah. and, uh, all, all of these people, not just in Ripon or central Valley, California, but who are along this journey with us of thinking, yeah. um, thinking critically, thinking clearly, thinking hopefully biblically and about a lot of current matters. Uh, we're just, a little part of the church, but it's really cool to see how the Lord is making connections far and wide. Yeah, we've received other comments over the p past year or so from other people as well, and we've not mentioned them, so you know who you are. Thank you guys <laughs> for writing in. It means a lot to us to know that we're not just speaking inside my office, but that mm -hmm. people are listening and being edified by it uh, more broadly than just even our church. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, this this conversation we're going to be doing today is intended to really be helpful for our congregation, but really for anyone as well, um, mm -hmm. like Lucas and Juliana. Um, and so this will not be the most robust conversation, perhaps, of all time on, mm -hmm. on communion, but we do hope to dive into uh, some, some of the different views, what is the real essence of it, how, mm -hmm. how is it to be done, even how often should it be, should it be administered? and things like that. And we hope that this uh, really increases your love for the Lord and your love for communing with him at the table. And so the question we will start with is, are you prepared to come to the table of the Lord? Yeah. And so uh, that's, we start with that question because like I said, um, uh, or I, I jotted down in the notes, I, <laughs> this is a episode that's a little bit more targeted towards our congregation. Um, preparing people to come to the Lord's table, even this Sunday. I plan to promote this for people in our church. So if you're a new listener and a member of Almond Valley, uh, <laughs> welcome to the podcast. This is the little project that you hear us talk about occasionally. And um, of course, it has a far-reaching application as well. Pastors who are listening, are you preparing your church um, to receive the sacrament well, not to eat or drink judgment on themselves? as the Bible warns us, um, could yeah. happen. Um, and if you're a, a lay member of a church and um, your your congregation is 
going to celebrate communion. It might not be happening this month, maybe during mm-hmm. Advent that would be less likely to happen, but certainly the next time you come to the table should be thinking on that day, maybe even in the week ahead, I'm, I'm going to get ready for this. I'm going to prepare for communion, mm-hmm. and I'm going to think rightly about what it is that I'm going to be participating in, think biblically about it, but also not just make your head right, <laughs> uh, think mm-hmm. rightly, but are you going to live in the way of Christ, leading towards that that moment of really special communion with him through the sacrament. So uh, yeah. I, but one of the reasons that we ask that question is conversations about communion can often drift pretty quickly towards fairly cold theology. Well, what do Catholics believe? What do Lutherans believe? What do hmm. Reformed people believe? What do um, Baptists or non-denominational people believe? And uh, we yeah. want to make sure this is a pastoral um warm, even um, inviting conversation into uh, thinking and kind of living rightly um, and not just uh, kind of a cold theological excursus. And and the reason for that um, is because this is such an amazing part of the Christian faith that the Lord descends to commune with his people uh, through humble, uh, modest elements like bread and wine or in our case juice maybe that's another thing we can yeah, add to one. this discussion <laughs> <laughs> um, but this is where we we meet with the Lord in a unique way um, mm-hmm. we meet with the Lord in all sorts of ways and God's presence uh, can be with us in so many ways and you think about the stories of the Bible God's presence is with his people and the pillar of loud and, cli- and light um, mm-hmm. and so I almost said loud and clight, a pillar of cloud (laughs) and light, sorry. Um, And so, yeah, and he comes and he's with his people in the, in the worship that they, that they participated in at the temple um, and, and so on. He's with his people as he's guiding them in and out of, uh, of exile. And then Mm -hmm. he's with his people, of course, in the Christmas season, we're mindful of him being with his people in Christ, Mm -hmm. but through communion, God is with us. And so this is not something to just be doctrinalized and, Mm -hmm argued about, uh, which has sadly been done all too often in the church over the past 2,000 years, but something to, at the end of the day, really be deeply thankful for and appreciative for and find joy in as well. Yeah, and so even though, uh, you know, we sort of started with that uh, little warning against theologizing too much, (laughs) I do think it is helpful just to run through pretty quickly what some of the other, the varying beliefs are concerning the sacrament of communion. And um, I would say the most well-known belief is that of the Roman Catholic Church, who believe yeah. in what is called transubstantiation. It's a really big word, but in the middle of that word, you can just remember substance. They believe that the substance of the the bread and the wine have been transformed, transubstantiation. And mm. they've been transformed into the, the, the real physical body mm-hmm. of Jesus Christ. Um, and so uh, this is the basic view. Um, I, I could read straight from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, which says, at the heart of the Eucharist, uh, um, sorry, at the heart of the Eucharistic celebration, are the bread and wine that, by the words of Christ and the invocation of the Holy Spirit, become Christ's body and blood. Body, capitalized B, blood, capitalized B, which um, even in the 
capitalizing of those words um, mm-hmm. point us to the physical presence of Jesus Christ in and through the elements. Yeah, so this is uh, a little bit of interesting philosophy here, this word trans- transubstantiation. So mm-hmm. that it differs a little bit from our modern word transformation. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, not, I'm not trying to no, I, correct well, you. It's just... They would. They, uh, I could h- sort of imagine Bishop Barron or somebody <laughs> saying, "Ah, oh, n- don't get those words mixed up. Transubstantiation and transformation, because the the form stays the same. The Catholics realize that it's it still looks and tastes and smells and and feels like bread and wine, right? So the form, the outer. This is sort of Aristotelian philosophy. The outer form remains the same, but the substance, the inner." essence of what it really is uh, Mm. has changed and so even though it looks and tastes and digests just like bread and wine it's actually yeah christ's body and blood and so it has removed the presence of wine and bread and though those appear to be there still catholics would say it's gone it's now only christ's body and blood and that is um there's a lot to be said on that but that's sort of a destruction of we would say from the reformed position of nature um and that there's a whole line of thought about nature and grace and reformed thinking that that really doesn't work well with also we just don't think that that's exactly right Mm -hmm. christ says this is my body do this in remembrance of me now those are the words that are the most tricky for of course luther also Mm -hmm. um reading that as saying this is my body and so Catholics and Lutherans would say that that is a physical statement. Um, this is my body, that this, being the bread and the wine, this is um, a physical statement they're saying. So this, this is Christ um, saying that the, the body, his body is now just bread and his His mm. his blood or his wine is now just bread just blood Mm -hmm. and so it's physicalizing and that's the issue here for the reformed point of view and really uh of the catholic point of view and the lutheran point of view that was probably clear as mud so i'm I'm sorry (laughs) well um for that (laughs) another another important thing in roman catholic theology of this is the centrality of the the eucharist Hmm. they would always call it the eucharist we call it uh, yeah. the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion. It's We're really all referring to the same thing here, the moment of receiving bread and mm. wine and remembering um, the the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And so uh, they w- they put that as the central point of the Christian life. Um, that's, yeah. that's exactly what the Catholic cate- Catechism says. To quote again, the Eucharist is the source and summit of the Christian life. And mm. so um, that's one of the reasons that it's celebrated at every worship service, mm-hmm. including even uh, weddings, um, that it is the sor- if it's the source of the Christian life, then it makes logical sense that they're going to celebrate it regularly. Um, and it's the summit of the Christian life as well. Uh, just reading through the Catholic Catechism in preparation for this episode, um, I really admired a lot of the statements that it made. Um, mm. I was actually a little bit surprised at how... Um, far-reaching um, that that theology was. I shouldn't be surprised because there's a lot of great thinkers, of course, in the Catholic <laughs> tradition. Um, but uh, it's not just referring to transubstantiation, and that is the only way that they think of the sacrament. They also yeah. look at it as um, a precursor to the wedding feast of the Lamb at, at mm-hmm. the last day. And 
um, they look at it as mystical union with Christ. Um, and so, and so there are, uh, they also in the Catholic catechism refer to Christ often as that Passover lamb. Hmm. And so it has an old Testament connection as well. It's, it's not yeah. just this narrow transubstantiation is all we talk yeah. about. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a pretty broad theological view and we agree with just about all that actually yeah. in terms of the old Testament connection, the, eschatological right. connection, the mystical union. Um, a Reformed Christian um, can agree with many statements in that Catholic catechism, but mm-hmm. um, when it comes to transubstantiation, we would say um, that's where the similarities sort of stop. But Yeah, yeah. That's, an, that's an interesting quote that you brought up too. The Eucharist is the source and summit of the Christian life. What would be your response to that mm-hmm. from a Reformed standpoint? Because I could see how that could be true, if you qualify it just mm-hmm. right, but I'd like to hear wh- um, what you think. Maybe you disagree with it just outright. I'm curious. The source and summit of the Christian life, uh, yeah, I would say is Christ himself. Hmm. And so um, Christ is our source. Um, Christ is the one who we worship. Um, instead of maybe the sacrament, um, I, I would want to place that more on the person of Christ. Sure, sure, okay. So that's that's how I think a Reformed. Yeah, this is where is. I think if you qualified it to say, well, what we mean, of course, by the Eucharist being the source and summit of the Christian life is that the Eucharist is Christ's physical yeah. presence among yeah. us and therefore representative of Christ. Um, so it really depends on, I guess, some of how that goes. But I think you're on to something because... I think it does kind of take on some really problematic mm-hmm. uh, things in the Roman Catholic Church, and maybe our, some Roman Catholic friends are listening to this, <laughs> uh, but one thing that's pretty common is for the Eucharist to be adored and lifted up in a way that is really not healthy mm. or good, uh, much less biblical. Could be even idolatrous. Uh, yeah, no. and there's, there's a thing that is called the monstrance, which is usually the, a sort of golden... Uh, thing that sort of looks like there's rays of gold there's golden beams that come out of it and it's sort of this round shaped thing and often they will put pieces of of sanctified the sanctified host or the Mm -hmm. the blessed host that's already been sort of transubstantiated and they'll put it in there and they'll walk it around the either the sanctuary or in times throughout church history they've paraded it around cities where everybody bows down to Mm -hmm. the monstrance because it contains a piece of of transubstantiated bread. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is Christ, therefore we must bow down. And I think that that gets pretty far afield from <laughs> the take, eat, and remember sort of idea of communion where it's a meal. It's mm-hmm. not something where we just take and we worship and we pray to this piece of bread because it's Jesus. We are told to eat the piece of bread. That is what it's for. Yeah, uh, It's for nourishment. Well, and anything in the Protestant or Roman Catholic or Orthodox traditions can become an idol. So yeah. where where a Roman Catholic person would be tempted to idolize the sacrament, we may be tempted to idolize the preaching, um, yeah. uh, or maybe even the physical Bible, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, there's certain... That's true. Certain things that we do that tend maybe towards idolatry, and sometimes it's easier to see that in other people than it is in our own context. But um, yeah. I, I would say, I, I totally agree with you. It's meant to be participate. Yeah. Uh, like, so that's, a, that's again where I, uh, 
I always encourage couples not to request that communion be done at their wedding. Hmm. Um, yeah. I haven't had that request outright, but um, communion is meant to be an ecclesiastical. Uh, it's meant for offer yeah. to the whole church. And um, often at a wedding, um, I've even seen it done where just the bride and groom participate in communion or just hmm. the wedding party who is up front. Yeah, I've seen that do. too. And that, that really betrays the actual meaning of the sacrament, which is communion. It's community. Yeah. It's it's something that is meant to be done together. And so and it's meant to be done with the church yeah. and a wedding party. I mean, there's always going to be wheat and tares, right, in a church gathering mm-hmm. um, for all we know. But at a wedding, there can be no fencing of the table. There can be no yeah. uh, no way of knowing who's a believer, who's, who's not a believer. And so it's wrong if you only restrict communion in that setting to the, the wedding party or to the couple. Um, but, but it's also it's wrong, wrong if you, if you really it. are just distributing it to everybody yeah. willy nilly. That, that's, that kind of goes against the, the whole idea of the sacrament as well. Yeah. So we've spent uh, a little bit more time on <laughs> the Roman Catholic view and, and part of the reason we do that is it's the most well-known view, even among reformed people, I would say. Yeah. Reformed people would be more likely to know the Roman Catholic view of transubstantiation than even their own sacramental theology. And mm. so before we get to the reform view, uh, we can think a little bit, maybe quickly, about the Lutheran view, also held by uh, many Anglican people I've, uh, I discovered mm-hmm. in my research. Um, and here's... Here's from the uh, Lutheran Catechism. The question is, what is the sacrament of the altar? And the answer is, it is the true body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ under the bread and the wine. That word under is a very important preposition. Mm -hmm. Under the bread and the wine for us Christians to eat and to drink instituted by Christ himself. And so what does the word under mean, Zach? Yeah, that's (laughs) maybe I can't answer that super, super well, but for the for the Lutheran view, as far as I know, this word is getting at the union of the two. So mm-hmm. in the Roman Catholic view, as I said earlier with that word transubstantiation, it means that no longer are wine and bread present at all. Though they appear to be, they are not really there. The Lutheran view, and using this word under, is trying to underline the idea that the bread and the wine still are there, but Christ is Christ is sort of attached through a mystical union to the elements of Even bread and wine. Even physically, right? Yes. Yeah. And so Lutherans will still, they will not do the sort of monstrance sort of stuff where they're going around and everybody's bowing. But Lutherans, for example, will always drink any leftover blessed mm. wine or or bread. Um, so a, the, the pastor will consume that at the end. And there may be some Reformed pastors that do that. I'm not really aware of anyone. Um, but... For a Lutheran, there is a the, the physical and the spiritual yeah. are sort of s- together. They're sort of in my mind stapled together. Mm-hmm. Essentially, mm-hmm. Christ and the Christ body and the bread are together. Christ's blood and the wine are together. So that they're both present uh, physically. Um, and so, yeah, that's I think that's a good explanation mm-hmm. of the Lutheran view. Anything you'd like to add to that? Well, it sounds like there's a kind of holiness to the physical objects. Which, um, yeah, that's, that's uh, which partly true. Which then uh, the Reformed or Zwinglian view, and so the Zwinglian, we'll get to what that is in a minute, but that's kind of the default remembrance view. E- each of those right. wouldn't ascribe holiness to the actual hmm. 
physical bread or wine slash juice. Um, yeah. We believe that there's a spiritual blessing um, yeah. in in the practice of eating and drinking, mm-hmm. but um, don't believe that if there's that drop of juice mm-hmm. still at the bottom of the cup that there is sort of a separateness or holiness to the physical element. Yeah, so... Whereas a Lutheran would feel that was dishonoring if you were to, yeah. oh, there's a little drop of, of juice or wine left, dump it down the drain. They yeah. would say, no, no how, how dare you? Mm. Or if there's a crumb of the bread, mm-hmm. uh, and you see this a good bit in Anglican positions as well. Anglicans, as far as I know them, kind of, depending on the Anglican, believe mm-hmm. these three different views, transubstantiation, mm. the Lutheran view. Interesting. Uh, and then some, some of them take the more reformed view. Uh, no, no Anglicans, as far as I know, take a mere memorialist view. Um, although there could be some that do, I, I don't know. I have a, uh, a funny little story about that. Uh, I know of someone who uh, visited a Catholic church once and mm-hmm. went forward to participate in the sacrament. Didn't really feel like it when he had sort of gotten up there and actually put it in his pocket <laughs> and just went home. And you know. They're on the way home. He's he's like going to this church with his girlfriend, and he pulls this the sacrament, the substance of the wafer, out of his pocket, and they sort of like screech to a halt. Like, what do we do? That's the body of Jesus, you know. Oh man! And uh, from what I recall, they went back to the church, and I believe it was buried. I think you do have to bury it. Oh yeah. Um, if if there is. Yeah, uh, a, there of, are certain ways of getting rid of excess, yeah. uh, of disposing of it. They would say, right? Um, but I think I think yeah, burial or there's something about that. Yeah, you're so. pressing the limits of my knowledge here. <laughs> but it, it was it was a hilarious little story, I think, because um, yeah. you know this family, according to their theology, yeah, they are being consistent. You know that this yeah. is the body of Jesus. Let's bring it. We got to bring this back to the church so that the priest will know what to do with it. So. Um, mm-hmm. I don't suggest that you go and do that, by the way. That's kind of disrespectful to... Um, that maybe before we even move to the Reformed view, we can think about how would a Reformed or, or, or Protestant person act in a con- Catholic context. Um, it is my view uh, that mm-hmm. I always observe the the local observance, and so I am not allowed to participate right. in communion at a Roman Catholic church, and so I wouldn't go forward because of their own view. Um, I'm actually also not allowed to participate in communion at my family's church. As a Missouri Synod Lutheran church, you must be Lutheran in order to participate in the sacrament at that church. And so I I wouldn't go forward out of respect for their own theology, basically. Right, Um, yeah. I, I I would enjoy doing that if I were invited. I think that some Missouri Synod Lutheran churches may not say that you must be catechized in the Lutheran mm. church, which I actually am, but, um, didn't, <laughs> didn't, uh, prof- I didn't do confession or confirmation. They confirmation, call it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so even though that some of those things mm. are met and I'm a pastor and a Christian, uh, I would respect the local position basically. Yeah. yeah that's, that's exactly how I, how yeah. I approach it as well. So if you're at a wedding where, where communion is offered and you're a reformed person, I would suggest not participating yeah. out of respect. So what is our view? Uh, you want to go into oh, what the man. reformed it's, it's a, there's a lot here to unpack, <laughs> but uh, so the how reformed would you view, we can start, I think by using the three words, real spiritual presence. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is the reformed view is sort of a variation of what's 
considered the real presence for you. Which real presence, that language, usually with a capital R and capital P, is often used by uh, Anglicans. It's used, I think, probably by Lutherans. And I've seen it even used by Catholics uh, as well. Mm. Um, and so in some sense, depending on what is meant by real presence, I think a Reformed person can get on board with that language. But we prefer to qualify that language with the word spiritual or a similar sort of outdated word mystical which mystical in this sense me refers to spiritual and when we say spiritual we do not mean merely symbolic mm -hmm. often that's how mm -hmm. the word is thrown around in church especially in evangelical circles today if something oh, it's, has a spiritual meaning, that means it's a symbolic meaning of a spiritual truth. Mm, um, like a parable, almost, in a way. Correct. Yeah. And so the Reformed view of the real spiritual presence does not mean spiritual in that sense. It almost means spiritual with a capital S, with the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And so it differs from both the Lutheran and the Catholic views in that um, Christ's physical body is something that we are communing with by the spirit and we receive by faith so his body is not attached to the elements in quite the same way that the lutheran view would hold and unlike the roman catholic view we we fully uh, affirm that bread and juice or wine are still there um, mm -hmm. and it's not it has not been pushed off the table and now christ's body and blood only are there we would say no these are humble earthly elements juice wine Unchanged. fruit of the vine you yep. could say yep. um, <laughs> sure. and the bread and so those are unchanged those are still it's exactly what they are but through these these elements through these things Christ is blessing his people and it's not so much really through the elements for the reformed mm. view although some reformed thinkers tend to be more um, to lean more in that direction than others uh, for the Reformed view, it's in the whole act Christ mm -hmm. is present. So in the taking, in the partaking of a meal, a shared meal together, uh, Christ is present to his people by the Spirit. And so when we are receiving these things by faith, we are receiving his true body and blood. So I think, this is at least my position, I think John chapter 6 can be read as a Eucharistic passage. Mm. Oh, for sure. Yeah, uh, I think so. There were people. There would be some reformed people who would disagree with mm -hmm. me, um, but I think John chapter six, uh, Jesus talks about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Now this comes before the institution of the Lord's Supper, so a lot of people will say uh, that it's that the two are not connected in mm -hmm. any real way. Um, and then he says, "That's how you have life in you." Right. And so I eat. think yeah. through communing on bread and wine, we are elevated by the Spirit in a sense, to Christ's presence. This is Calvin's view that communion is sort of Christ bringing us up to himself and we are feeding on his body and blood, his real body and blood. But this is all happening through the mediation or through the work of the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. who is making Christ's real body and real blood present to us, uh, but it's not happening in a completely physicalized way like the Lutheran or Catholic views. And so we don't have the, the same sort of views about drinking all of the wine or eating all of the bread. Mm. Typically, it's really in the action that Christ is present, in the partaking, in the, mm -hmm. in the, in the, the meditation that we're doing, in the 
the fact that we're doing it together as a body of Christ, mm-hmm. all of this is crucial to the Reformed view of communion. Yeah, in preparing for this, in reading through uh, Herman Bavink and some of Calvin and the Heidelberg Catechism, it also is very clear the emphasis of the Holy Spirit in yeah. the sacrament. So um, that's one thing that I appreciate very much about the reform view is mm. it's not just about Jesus. Very Trinitarian. Yeah, it's it's more, I don't know if I would say more Trinitarian because I don't know the Lutheran and Catholic views exhaustively, but okay, that is yeah. one thing that struck me, I guess I might say, by reading through. from especially Herman Bavink. Um, and, and so mm. the, the church is under the head that is Christ um, and Christ blesses the church through the, his Holy Spirit. Um, and so thinking about the church, thinking about baptism, preaching, um, yeah. really uh, communion, of course, as well, these are means of grace that Christ has instituted to bless, nourish, hmm. um, guide, renew the church yeah. um, through the Spirit again. So you find that right in the center of Q&A 76 of the Heidelberg Catechism, so question 76 is, what does it mean to eat the crucified body of Christ and to drink his poured out blood? And um, I won't read the whole answer. It's, it's a great answer. But um, in the center, you find the Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit, who lives both in Christ and in us, we are united more and more to Christ's blessed body. Hmm. So you find that spiritual connection happening. Um, I might illustrate it. I don't know if this will work exactly well, but... Think of singing a song, a worship song. It's not in saying those words of that worship song. It's not in the words themselves that you are uh, blessed in some way by saying, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. But it's in the act of worship. It's in the act of singing. And, And those words, of course, are a means by which you express your faith and you express connection to God through the work of the Holy Spirit. Hmm. Um, I think the bread and the the juice in our church um, are are a lot like w- those words in that sense where there, there's nothing um, particularly holy about hmm. the physical bread or the, the, the elements, but um, it's through those things that God is blessing us by his spirit. Yeah, what's holy to me is that God uses such yeah. common modest. things yeah, right. to to unite himself to us. Sure. Um, and that that is the really the big idea of communion is union with God. And that's something that all of these different views would hold to yeah. um, in different ways. But we all get that baseline idea that this is a participation in the body and blood of Christ or a communion in the body and blood of Christ, depending on your translation. And that verse is 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16, um, which is a really important passage for all of this. Uh, that, that word is is really, really important, uh, participation or communion. We are communing with with Christ, and therefore we are communing with the Father. And that's the sort of Trinitarian aspect mm-hmm. of communion. Mm-hmm. Um, through the Spirit, we are we are commune with Christ, and through Christ as our Lord, we commune with the Father. Uh, and, that's, and with one another as well. Yeah, at, yeah. At, so it's, it's a yeah. body thing. Right. Um, and so that's... That's why communion all alone in your in your room is yeah. not really the way to go. Uh, the Reformed view says that communion is, by definition, something for the body of Christ, and mm-hmm. so it needs to be celebrated uh, rightly, which means 
for one thing, it needs to be celebrated with the family of Christ. It's God's table. We don't get to just invite ourselves and set up our own little table and not have any, anybody else. God calls his church to his table. Yeah, and and that really gets into the next point, which is the, the fourth view, the Zwinglian view. Um, so Ulrich Zwingli was an early reformer. He preceded John Calvin. And, um, it was kind of the original reformed yeah, guy. Yeah, um, and so uh, he believed that it, it should be celebrated as a remembrance. And so some people would say, well, isn't that what you just talked about with reformed people? Um, the distinction here between Calvinistic communion and Zwinglian communion is that Calvin would say there's a real spiritual blessing, um, yeah. and there's a, it's a spiritual means of grace that, that mm-hmm. is something significantly spiritual is happening when people eat and drink. Whereas Zwingli would say, um, that might be true, but it's ultimately kind of what's happening in your heart. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's meant to be a remembrance of something that Christ has done. And um, the reason that I say it's a good segue f- away from, or from Zach's last point of doing this on your own is in the Zwinglian view, well, why can't you remember Jesus died yeah. in your own home. Um, yeah. I would say the Zwinglian view opens things up to a lot more difficulty in terms of fencing the table um, mm. because uh, there, there's not really much reason to fence the table if it's just sort of up to the person mm. um, whether or not you know they're eating or drinking judgment on themselves because it's just a remembrance. It's sort of lowering the view of it in and of itself. And so it's less important to fence the table in yeah. that context. Yeah, a lot of what Zwingli, the, the view does, there would be some people I think who would say that Zwingli doesn't really hold this view. Okay, <laughs> there, whatever the case, there is this, this view does exist. We might just call it the remembrance view. Yeah, the, yeah. the mere remembrance or memorialist view where it's yeah. really about traveling into your own mind, thinking back about upon Calvary mm-hmm. and just sort of, remembering all the great truths of of the cross um that's typically uh the sort of memorialist view where communion is just a thing where we it's a it's a practice or an exercise of the mind and mm-hmm. of the memory in particular and more personal i would say than than communal in, yes. in terms of like what is happening and so in you're the thinking body. in your own mind and so you're not mm-hmm. so much thinking about doing this with your family of brothers and sisters all around you uh your, your fellow christians in your church but it's something that's really an individualized mm-hmm. practice. Mm-hmm. And this is why it kind of naturally becomes mm-hmm. the default view of pietism and then really of American revivalism yeah. um, and sort of on the frontier with Baptists and um, and others. I hesitate to say Methodists. Methodists typically have a higher view. It's sort of more like the Anglican view or Lutheran view. Mm. Um, but, yeah, the Zwinglian view has now for all intents and purposes, become the default American evangelical view. For sure. Um, that is without a doubt. Um, Even that, in that, some reformed churches. Yeah. yeah, it has become so so dominant that it has become kind of the, it's the gravitational pull that where mm. if you don't really have any decided principles or thoughts on it, that's sort of like the baseline where you will fall. Yeah. Um, what Zwingli gets right, of, co- of course, is that it is a remembrance. Mm-hmm. Communion is an action of reflecting back on the past where the reformed and Lutheran and Catholic views differ is that communion also becomes a very present sort of thing. Christ is present to us again, real spiritual presence Mm -hmm. and it's, it's futuristic. Zwingli 
that view would usually capture the futuristic elements. First hmm. uh, Corinthians 10 talks about how this is something you will do until he returns. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you will think back about what has happened and you will do this until Christ returns. Um, yeah. And, and even in revelation, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb. Right. Yeah. And so um, it looks way back to Exodus. It looks a yeah. little bit closer back to the work of Christ, of course. And um, looks yep. forward very, uh, who knows, maybe five minutes forward from when we're recording <laughs> this, but uh, forward so. into the eschaton, the the last day where where we have where we sit at the table of the Lord together. So yeah. um, the Zwinglian view often takes more of the tempor the temporal uh, right now. Yeah. I'm thinking of something that Jesus did for me. It's a little bit more subjective if I were to be critical. And it is symbolic in that sense I was talking about earlier, um, where it's mm. it's these are symbols mm-hmm. that point us to spiritual truths. Um, and so there's there's not really anything happening in the taking or not taking of communion. It's just a symbol after all. And this view is why churches like the Salvation Army, if we can call that a church, don't practice the sacraments and don't don't do communion in their mm, church anymore because mm. it's kind of not necessary really if we can have communion with christ by in our hearts through personal faith why do these sort of that's kind of the next external step. things we yeah. don't they're kind of a waste of time and resources then. yeah and so um as we start to wrap up um i, I guess i we'll talk a, a little bit about some of the dangers of um a bad Eucharistic theology and where they can lead. Um, Hmm. I think that it's important to recognize that error in this regard, whether that's personal error or congregational error, is going to lead people um, into less assurance of their faith and of Christ, of of the work of Christ done for us. Hmm. Um, I think it would lead to less sanctification, less becoming more like Jesus. That's kind of what Jesus is getting at in John 6, I think. When you do this, eat and drink, you have life in you. Um, And he's not saying that you have to have an exhaustive um, knowledge of of all of the the symbols and things of what they mean, but he's saying when you do this well, um, you will grow in your likeness of Jesus. You will access uh, his, his sort of resurrection life, you might say. Um, yeah. And so uh, what, what's one error that you can think of in, in the direction that it leads? Oh, man. The one that we've written a few down. Yeah. <laughs> um, you guys can see how the sausage is made a little bit. We, <laughs> we do make notes here. Um, I think the one that really strikes me as being the most common error that I see is the idea that we can't do it too much because it will ruin the specialness mm. of it. And so it's kind of this special thing, but if we do it every week, then it becomes mundane. And so what that does is that it says that communion has no objectivity to it. It's totally subjective. This is how it, this, this view sort of correlates with the Zwinglian mm-hmm. view, the symbolistic view. Um, and so I need to feel the power within me. And so if we do it too much, it becomes too rote. It becomes a little boring and bland. And so we should not do it very much. The reformed view actually says, no, there is, there's objectivity and subjectivity combined, um, here. There's an, it's Christ is objectively present through the spirit and he he is to be then subjectively received by faith. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes the Reformed view is criticized as being a receptionist view, um, and that's pretty accurate, actually. It is a receptionist view. You access 
the benefits of communion through faith. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't have faith, then it actually becomes something that you partake of to your own judgment. Um, and so it's scriptural. It's yeah. damning in that yeah. way. Um, and so this idea of it having to feel special, I, I think doesn't recognize the, the value and the goodness of it. Um, why do we sing every week? Um, why do we, sure. why do we, you know, hear a sermon, uh, every hear a week. sermon yeah. every week. Yeah. Should we not hear the sermon every week and maybe only do it, you know, a couple of times a year or else it won't feel special. No, we know that this is a part of our regular routine and part of our, our nourishment. Yeah, that is a, a really good response to something that's very common. Um, and I, I think it's maybe a little bit anti-Catholic as well when people say that we should not take it quite as frequently. Um, I think that there's a little bit of a, hmm. Uh, a thread of that through the Reformed faith and maybe the Lutheran faith as well. Um, although I know of Lutheran churches that participate in communion weekly. Mm-hmm. Um, but we should always be careful of anti-Catholic sentiment and rejecting things just because it's done in Roman Catholicism. Um, now the, Roman, the Roman Catholic Church has a lot of wonderful doctrines and, and things mm-hmm. to teach us. So um, infrequency, um, what now what infrequency means could mean different things also. <laughs> uh, weekly, should it be done weekly? We at our church have participated in communion monthly, um, which mm-hmm. I think has gone quite well. And, it used and to be quarterly, good. right? Used, yeah, in, historically in the CRC, it has been quarterly. Um, when well, I arrived, it was every other was, month. Uh, that's right, yeah. yeah. That was a few years ago. It was ago. six times a year when that's I arrived. Right. That's right. And um, I pushed towards more frequent communion. Um, I think that the frequency that we have it at now monthly mm-hmm. allows for a good time of preparation mm-hmm. so that we do not eat and drink judgment on ourselves. It's not as though it's foolproof in that regard. We can still do so. Um, but yeah. there is that prep time in the Sunday before communion. I proclaim that we we're going to participate next Sunday in the sacrament. And so let's confess our sin now. Let's mm-hmm. do so throughout the week. Let's come to the table with a clear conscience, believing Christ has died for our sins um, I, I think yeah. that that intentionality is is sort of a good place to be. So, yeah, this is an at. open subject in the reformed world. Yeah, it is. Um, there's not really any one reformed position. Uh, it's famously known that Calvin pushed for a weekly communion. Mm-hmm. Um, his council in Geneva pushed back, and ever since uh, the reformed churches <laughs> have not really come to an agreement on this. Yeah. Um, and as Mark said, in the in the in the Dutch Reformed tradition, at least as we can see it in the 19th century, maybe before that as well, it was, yeah, quarterly. It was four times a year. And Uh, hey, if you're sick on that Sunday of communion, you're going half a year in between participating in the sacrament. And so that that starts to betray Jesus' teaching Mm -hmm. in John 6 to me a little bit, where he's saying, eat my body, drink my blood. If you don't, you don't have life in you. Mm -hmm. And so... um, that to me that would suggest towards a more frequent participation yeah. in the sacrament. So yeah. anyways, um, I think, uh, you know, I'll, I'll pick one here of the errors that we have listed. Um, the remembrance view I think is, is kind of dangerous. We've already talked about one of the dangers there of just personalizing or individualizing the sacrament, making it about me and Jesus. Hmm. Um, but along with that, I think that it, the remembrance symbolic view lowers the blessing that one is receiving at communion. Hmm. Um, if it's just based on my faith and my 
what I remember about Jesus, what what I believe that this symbolizes, um, it's a lower view than somebody saying Christ hmm. in a very mysterious, powerful, uh, real way is blessing me in a in a greater way than I could even really understand. Yeah. And so while there's a certain amount of faith that one should have in coming to the table, so I would be opposed to pure pedo communion. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say there's more happening there than we could even understand because mm. Christ is so at work, so powerfully real and present in that moment where the congregation takes, eats, remembers, and believes, or takes, drinks, remembers, and believes that mm. that Christ died and shed his blood for us. And so um, I, I think that there is a real danger in um, the remembrance view of of lowering all that Christ is doing in yeah. that moment. And that's, yeah, that's partly why you see interesting practices then take place. Like I, I remember, and this is something that has always stuck in my mind, uh, but from, it was a memorialist church I was at several years ago uh, for a couple of months, and the communion portion of the service was right at the end. So the worship band would get up, the mm-hmm. lights would get very dark mm-hmm. in the uh, space that we were in. I guess you could call it the sanctuary. It was in a gymnasium. Uh, and we, you would walk to the front whenever you felt like it was your time to go up to the front. And there'd be different stations where different members of the church would be holding uh, bread and, and juice. And you would take it and walk back to your seat and have a little sort of personal quiet time normally and some people would take the whole time of all the worship songs that would be playing and some people would just pray for a second and stand back up and sing and so it was hyper individualized because Mm. of all of this it was not not something that was done together because again it was just a symbol and so you're supposed to reflect on that symbol for yourself yeah it wasn't Um, really administered to them no it was not given to you uh by a pastor it was just people holding a basket and holding holding little, mm-hmm. the little cups. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of, even the symbolic meaning w- was stripped from it then mm. as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, that that can be one error. Um, I know we're running a little bit short on time, but I did want to pick your brain, Mark, about best practices for fencing the table mm. that you have come up with. I, I, I've only done communion a handful of times here at the church uh, but w- what have you learned over the years about the practice of fencing the table and how to do it and why it's important? Yeah, so by fencing the table, we do mean um, who is invited to participate in the sacrament. Um, I think, obviously, we talk about the two ditches here. One ditch is to have no fence and yeah. um, and betray the command of or disobey the command of the Bible where elders and church leaders are called to give an account for those who are entrusted to our spiritual care. And we believe that that would include following scripture's commands for how communion is to be done well. And Mm. so that would include at some point, at least saying a unrepentant, unbelieving person who hates God should not participate in this. So that's a a real low level (laughs) fencing there. Um, But that does correct one error where, like you said, in that church, they don't know you from Adam. You're just going to no, walk up and, and pick up the oyster cracker or yeah. and the cup or and go back to your seat. That's no fencing. And I would even say that would church would be in danger of becoming a false church because there's no accountability really yeah. um, in 
participating in the sacrament. So hmm. um, that's one ditch. And the other is to overfence the table, which is done um, most egregiously, I would say, in the Netherlands Reformed Church, where hmm. where communion is served and almost no one participates because wow. no one feels good enough to to participate. I've heard of, I had a friend who was at one of these churches and the communion was served wow. to maybe 200 people and three or four people took the sacrament. And so that is uh, a legalistic hyper-fencing. I mean, that fence is so high, you would have yeah. to be self-righteous to think that you could make make your way over it. So we want to be somewhere in the middle and say, um, I'll, I'll occasionally say as I'm administering the sacrament, uh, anyone who has professed faith in Christ publicly and mm-hmm. is a member in good standing of a Christian church may yeah. receive, may come to the table. You are not just may come, but should come. Uh, yeah. Should yeah. come to the table. You are invited. A good point of distinction to, to the table. Um, if you are a professing uh, baptized member of a Christian church, uh, you're yeah. welcome to participate in the sacrament at Almond Valley CRC. Yeah. Um, if you're a visitor, that's fine. Um, if you uh, are a new Christian, brand new Christian, and this is your first time ever, uh, there, there's nothing magical about mm-hmm. that. Um, mm-hmm. You're what you would be welcome to the table, and so um, I would say it's. Uh, I, I hope it it treads that line between those two ditches of saying no, it doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, or what you're up to. Yeah, you yeah. can come to the table because God is a God of grace. You know, mm. that's sort of the excuse. Or and neither is it. You must be Christian reformed. You must be a member of our church. Yeah. You must be a super Christian uh, in order to get here. I think it's in between the two st- the two extremes. Yeah, the way I think of it is. Do you want to fall inside of making people feel like they can't come mm-hmm. and feel too terrified to come? Mm-hmm. Or do you want to fall on the side of a sinner who's trembling before the presence of God, not sure if they're holy enough mm-hmm. to be invited to the table? I tend to go for the for the latter, if I'm being honest. If somebody is genuinely fretful of their sin and they know that they have sinned mm-hmm. and that they are unworthy of approaching the table, but they hate that, they hate their sin... I want that person to know that this table is spread out for you yeah. by the Lord. That's that's Maybe that's an error. Maybe some people <laughs> would say that that's not uh, fenced enough. Mm. Um, but I think the table is where Christ calls people to himself, and that yeah. includes all of us sinners. So it depends on what kind of sin we're currently participating in. Um, and if we are repentant, of course, yeah. uh, if we hate our sin and are turning from it, and striving for holiness by Christ's, by the Spirit's power. Um, but the table should be, I think, a comfort, a great comfort uh, for the burdened sinner. Uh, Christ says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so yeah. that is, that's how I view, I think, fencing the table. Well, um, and there's that question of how fencing the table practically works out as well, where... Um, yeah. Does that mean that the elders are going to pull the tray away from somebody who <laughs> they exactly Jay right. heard say a bad word? Yeah. No, it doesn't mean that in our church. Yeah. Um, yeah. Bavink has a great little passage on Judas at the Last Supper hmm. where, where he says, um, first of all, it's possible Judas had already left the supper when Jesus instituted the sacrament. Hmm. But even if he hadn't, and if he had participated, Bavink says, he drank, he, he drank and ate judgment on himself. That was 
his mm-hmm. his own personal judgment. That's um, good point. And so that is still happening, of course, when yeah. the table is fenced. And and I think that uh, we shouldn't be lackadaisical about that. That's part of our the American approach would be just be to individualize it even as elders and say, Oh, that's just between them and the Lord. And so we can wash our hands of responsibility there because we know this person's uh, not living a Christian life. And well, well, Judas was at the table. And so, Hey, it's just a symbolic meeting anyways. How can you be drinking judgment on yourself? Exactly. That doesn't really work out. Yeah. That really upholds the reformed view. Um, maybe also the, uh, Lutheran and Catholic views as well. So, uh, so practically, the fe- this, the table is fenced um, where there would be some that the elders know are under church discipline, which is the case yeah. in our church, and they would not be served, and so the elders are aware of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, are they going to? Are we the Spanish Inquisition? You know, who's going <laughs> to try to figure out everything? No, um, gre- egregious sins that have been brought to our attention, um, we will recognize yeah. when that's being distributed. But, um, you know, it isn't really our job to, uh, to be private investigators, you mm-hmm. know, at the same time. So I think that's, that's a, a little point. bit of, it's a serious thing, I guess, is my point, but also a gracious thing. Yeah. So I really like your, your call to the table. It, if you're taking sin seriously and if you really love Christ and you know he is the person you need, he is what you need, yeah. Then, um, then I would hope that you would participate in the sacrament. So yeah. maybe that's a good place to wrap. I things think up. so, <laughs> and I think that this. Well, I hope that this will be effective in in increasing hmm. all, everybody's love and appreciation of this great gift that God has given to us. Yeah, yeah, great, great little reminder. It is a blessing. It we don't want to over theologize it. It is a wonderful blessing that we would have mystical communion, yeah. union with Christ, uh, the King. Of creation and so um, hopefully this has been helpful to you guys and uh, have a good rest of your day if you're a member at, at Almond Valley I look forward to serving communion to you this <laughs> Sunday yeah. but uh, until then grace and peace to you yep goodbye guys